It is your Tuesday edition of Sports Bar Radio. I am Rob Fay alongside VancouverHockeyNow.com insider Rob Simpson. Robert at the arena today. What is the energy like with the good ship Canuck who refused to go quietly into the night? They do refuse. It's un- pretty unbelievable. And they're going back to back. They, uh, of course, took care of business head to head with Dallas, one of the teams they're chasing last night with a 6-2 win. And now they have the Ottawa Senators who are in town who are playing essentially meaningless hockey from a standings point of view of the Eastern Conference has been decided across the board for quite a while. But they can be a pesky team uh, with the Brady Kachucks of the world and the Tim Stutzlas of the world and Norris and these guys. So, uh, you know, not something that the Canucks want to take lightly. They have to be ready to rock and roll each and every night. So before we get into the fact that I think this is a trip game and it's a magnificent trip game because Ottawa seems to find a way, as you say, to be pesky against Vancouver. But is this at the point of the season where what would have been a trip game earlier in the year the Canucks have kind of ironed those wrinkles out and they're like, realistically, six wins in a row as hot as a pistol. This shouldn't be a loss, should it? No, it shouldn't be. I mean, they're coming hard and they're coming out of the gates uh, at full intensity. And that's maybe what one of the issues was when they were struggling as they were off to slow starts and there was, you know, everybody's trying to figure out why that was. And there really is no answer. It's just a matter of team and personal preparation. They have turned that corner and guys have come out and played. It's almost as if with the injury issues, and we can add Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson to that recently, it's almost as if with the quote-unquote needing to step up factor that the team has really done it and have come out of the blocks each and every night in, in a strong fashion. So here's a... Here's a note for you, though, Roberto, as we get ready, get ready for this one. It will, it will be Yaroslav Halak getting the start for the Vancouver Canucks, back-to-back, of course, with Thatcher Demko getting the win last night, who's now 3-0 against Dallas this season. And uh, Yaro's been pretty good. He had a couple of weak games back during close to the trade deadline, but has been pretty much nails since. Uh, he's a guy that, personally, in, in watching him, you were a little bit about his fast starts. In other words, he's a guy, you know, goalies always say they want to make an early save to get into the game, to get their feel. It really stands out for him. He seems to have struggled in situations where if if the opposition gets a quickie, it, it makes you a little nervous about Halak. But if he makes a save or two early on, the Canucks should be in fine shape. And the other note is it's the backup for Ottawa. And in this case, it would be the backup, 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 it's Philip Gustafson tonight, and I believe his save percentage is right around the, I'm just throwing it out there, 886 range. So the Canucks catch a little break in the goaltending department against uh, Halak tonight here at, at Rogers Arena. And they've done good against, they've done well against backups uh, as of late. You might remember Hari Satari, who's now pronouncing his name, his name Satari, I guess. He got bombed uh, missed by- marketing, Missed marketing opportunity, <laughs> Yeah, totally. The Finnish Olympic goaltender. But yeah, this is an opportunity for the Canucks to take care of business. But again, they can't take it lightly. You know, uh, I'm just going to take the glass half full approach. The fact that in the game that we saw last night, there were so many positives offensively. In this six-game stretch, there's been so many, and including the big guns showing up. Elias Pettersson's as hot as a pistol, to use that adage twice. 
but you're seeing more from, you know, Brock and you're seeing JT Miller guys stepping up in the absence of Bo Horvat. And even defensively, I've liked them a little bit. I mean, I was actually a little surprised when I heard that it was going to be Yaroslav Halak only because there wasn't a lot of tread taken off the tire last night with Thatcher Demko. So before we get into the offense, let's just really quickly circle back on this. Would you have gone with Thatcher and just ridden this guy right to the finish line? Or dare you dance with Yaroslav Halak in what is still a must-win game? I have no problem dancing with Yaroslav Halak in this situation because, you know what, the, the, this is a team. It's a tight room. It's the team-first mentality. And it just sends a strong message to everyone that, hey, you know what? Yaro's played well in his last two starts. He's helped us get to where we are. You know, everybody's got to contribute. And there is also a very strong likelihood that Thatcher Demko ends up playing the last five games. I mean, that is a distinct possibility. So instead of making him play tonight and then turn around on the road two nights later in Minnesota, which would be game, which would be three games and four nights, that that starts to not make much sense, especially considering if he starts in Minnesota two nights later, he starts in Calgary on hockey night in Canada. Then he gets a couple of days off. He hosts Seattle, hosts LA and what could be a huge head-to-head matchup on the 28th. Yes. And then if you really need it, if you really need it, you have the rare back-to-back option at Edmonton on the 29th, the very next day. So that possibility kind of hovers out there if the Canucks get that far. So, but for now, you know, share the the burden, share the wealth, um, share the team responsibility and, and get, Halak to help you cross the finish line, hopefully one last time. So Vancouver's market is always known to be the panic group, the ones that are looking well in advance of a situation that necessarily needs to happen because they want answers now, damn it. So once again, the Bruce Boudreaux situation comes to the forefront because here's a team that in this stretch is scoring more than five goals per game. Everybody's back on the good ship Canuck. And now people are starting to wonder about the future of Bruce Boudreaux again. Is it in the best interest of the Canucks, just to quell the fan base and say, listen, man, we've got blank to do about this. We're going to figure this out when the time is right. Should they even acknowledge it or do they just let those wins swirl in the dust? I think it's fine just to let it swirl. I know Gabby's not worried about it. I I talked to him a couple days ago about this very subject and it's really not the focus. I mean, let's face it. The guy's record is incredible since he's been here. He's just won six in a row. Whether they make it or not, he's going to be the coach next season. I can tell you that right now. They'd be insane on so many different levels, including the public relations level, if they were not to exercise their option on Bruce Boudreaux for next season. It would be absolutely ridiculous, especially given his success and his his persona and the fact that Jim Rutherford knew that he was going to be the coach when he took over the position. They came staggered backwards. It was Gabby and then Jr. JR knew what was going on. So it was not a mystery. And at this point in time, he's going to be the coach. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. And I'm pretty confident, you know, he, he gets a little nervous about it. He doesn't really want to talk about it. He says he loves Vancouver. He loves how he's been treated, but it's not his focus. He, he is just worried about picking up W's right now. And he'll let that take care of itself when the season's over. I, I know that it, it ultimately will come down to a Rutherford decision. I mean, Patrick Alvin is is hustling. We'll watch the game here tonight and then hustle off to the under 18 worlds over in Europe uh, on Wednesday to kind of check out some of the young talent that might be available over there. 
So th- they're not thinking about that right now. They're thinking about just taking care of business. You've been around him, uh, speaking again of Bruce Boudreau, uh, for many a year, not just this year here in Vancouver. What is it about him that players like? I mean, we can talk systems to more blue in the face, and that goes you know, to different coaches and structures, what have you. But what is it about him that players seem to go to bat for, at least in his first year with an organization? Because this isn't his first reclamation project, and it seems that everywhere he goes, in addition to the likability, there's something that gets the most out of the players. What is that? Well, he's living proof that that every coach, eventually the message wears off because he generally lasts about four or five seasons, and then the, the, you know things need to change. So there's that. But in terms of the when he does arrive, he's an excellent communicator. He's quote unquote, you know, he's even said himself, he's a player's coach. He's, he's very positive. He likes to encourage guys. He's not going to tear them down, although he is not afraid to, you know, criticize them when the time comes in certain situations, if criticism needs to be distributed. And that includes publicly. And I think they, most of the players appreciate that honesty because they realize it is, you know, it's, it comes at a certain time and it's done for, for effect, a positive effect ultimately. But for the most part, it's just a, it's a very positive attitude and it's a very open communication. Travis Green was much more, um, we sometimes refer to it as kind of OCD, a little bit obsessive compulsive with kind of sticking with the same penalty kill units, kind of sticking to a regimen, not very open with his communication, closed off the visitor's bench so that the media has to walk around the entire rink underneath in the bowels every single time they come out of the seats even during a practice when there is no road team in the building, just a certain level of like, oh my God, uh, where Gabby's uh, just more open, more positive, and the the players have kind of bought into it. And it's like anything else, marriage, relationship, girlfriend, business. When you communicate openly, uh, generally speaking, you you find greater success and and uh just a better compatibility. So that that's ultimately what it is. It's it's open communication and a really positive, upbeat attitude. Rob Simpson of VancouverHockeyNow.com joining us. Of VancouverHockeyNow.com joining us. Rob, will he get some Jack Adams votes? Ooh, geez, I never even thought about that. That's a great question. You know, there's we've I've thought more about the GM award, uh, the Jim Gregory award for potentially Brad Treleving and the job he's done in Calgary this year. That name's come up quite a bit. Haven't even really even thought about the Jack Adams. I would have to kind of him and haw over that a little bit and think about some of the other candidates that might pop into my head if I were to think about it for 20 seconds. But yeah, I think that's a that's a extremely legitimate uh proposition that you have just raised sir well i I mean you think of everything that happened in florida and with joe quenville leaving early on and the fact that they've still been a 50 win plus you know 50 plus win team that to me screams that the the front runner is still in the sunshine state but i think when you look at this you know resurrection of the vancouver canucks to get into the conversation if they get to 90 points and that's still you know being optimistic but if they can get to that level I think you at least get a couple of votes. They might not be first place votes, but he's in the conversation. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's funny you bring up, you know, Andrew Burnett is the kind of the interim coach in Florida. And that is a, uh, that's also a valid point. That would be, that'd be a little bit unusual because I do believe if I'm not mistaken, interim is still on his tag. So that it is that would, yes. on his title. So that would be maybe a first uh, where that kind of that, 
official moniker. Rod Brindamore will get consideration once again because of his outstanding season. Maybe Sheldon Keefe in Toronto. Jared Bednar in uh, in Colorado, obviously, if they win a back-to-back President's Trophy. And maybe even Daryl Sutter in Calgary. We're talking about Treleving for the GM award, but Sutter's got to be one of those names that pops up. But because of the turnaround nature of it, that's always sexy for voters. Um, I think Bruce so. Boudreau. I mean, if they get in, he's a finalist, I would think. If they don't make it, yeah. if they fall just short, he should still be considered. But generally, you're not. I mean, it's tough not to if you're not a playoff team, not to be not to, to be included in there, I, I would think. You know, we talk about Vancouver's six wins in a row and a team that got hot basically on the backs of Vancouver are the uh, St. Louis Blues, who are in search now of their 10th straight victory. We always talk about the teams that are right at the upper crust. We talk about Colorado. We've been doing it since day one, Florida and Tampa. But there are some teams right now that are gaining steam at the right time. And even though they haven't been at the top of the totem pole, not a team that you want to face in the first round. And St. Louis, we just got back-to-back looks at them a week or so ago. That is a tough out because they play a heavy style of game. I'd love to see them in Calgary in a series. Yeah, they'd have to probably take care of business against Minnesota first just because of the way the points are stacked. It'll probably be. But it's interesting because the home ice is on the line right now. There's a point separating St. Louis and Minnesota. You can't forget about the wild. They haven't been as red hot as St. Louis, but they're still winning at a pretty good clip. And they have a game in hand on the Blues and could potentially overtake them for home ice in the first round. So yeah, that'll be a, wow, that'll be a heavy, big, <laughs> there's some big bodies on both those rosters. Um, that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, there, there's this, it's going to be, I just, I think there's a certain anticipation that we haven't had in a while. Maybe it's because of the COVID crap is mostly behind us, but the anticipation for the postseason this year is, uh, is at an all time high. I want to really quickly finish up with the Vancouver Canucks because there's some great storylines out there. We're going to get to Toronto in a second, but Rob, when I look at the Vancouver Canucks right now, I think they're in a no-lose situation. And correct me if I'm wrong, they have, since that abomination of a start to the season, whether they make the playoffs or not, it's a victory. I'm going to put you in the shoes of a sales rep over at Rogers Arena right now. It's a pretty easy sell for next season, is it not? I would think so, given the happy vibes with the head coach and the fans' belief that they will not soil themselves coming out of the blocks again next season if things stay the way they are. They have some obviously some important issues to take care of, like the Brock Besser RFA qualifying offer of seven-plus million dollars, which is numero uno, I would think, on the kind of, okay, what are we doing list. But otherwise, uh, and, and they have some future contracts that they have to take care of um, in the not so distant future as well. But I think there will be a certain level of enthusiasm. The roster has kind of played out the way, even though it took the coaching change to do it, the roster that was built last summer, summer that everyone was so optimistic about has, uh, has, has performed in a positive manner. I mean, for the most part, I mean, you've got Bo Horvat and JT Miller contracts coming up the following year. So that's something that will have to be addressed. But again, that's the following year. And it doesn't necessarily affect how the fans view the start of next season. I think they'll be they'll, pre- they'll be pretty stoked based on how things have closed out here. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a good point by you. Um, you know, Rob, I, I will say this. Uh, sorry, not to cut you off, but you brought up a name that I just I, I want to make sure that we touch on here. I feel like the fans 
are willing to part with Brock Besser. He used to be one of those untouchables. You know, he did so many things right. Last season, he was a 30-goal guy that I think put him, you know, the Canucks on his shoulders certain nights. But I feel like because we just understand the numbers a little bit more than we did, and even with that extra space that the NHL is going to give teams next year, I feel like the fans have kind of started to emotionally separate themselves from the fact that Brock is not necessarily going to fit this team next season just because of that gaudy number that he's due. Yeah, a couple things pop into mind when it comes to him, and that's one, I mean, essentially they've tried to move him. Two different general managers have tried to move him uh, during the course of this season because of that money and because of the uncertainty that the team was going through, particularly earlier in the year. He's very, you know, he's obviously very popular off the ice. He's a wonderful guy off the ice. I don't know if he's the most effective bang for that buck is ultimately what comes, this comes down to. And I actually, I've had a conversation about him with two different opposing NHL general man- managers recently. And yeah, it's, it's simply clear as a bell. It's obviously a salary cap issue and getting the most bang for your buck. And, and on a micro scale there, you know, I, I wasn't, I don't think, everyone is necessarily overly confident about him coming back from missing the five games and how he would do in the Dallas game last night. And I actually wrote about it earlier today, talking about him and Jason Dickinson's performance. You know, he takes the cross-checking penalty in the first period. The team's up one, nothing. He takes a cross-checking penalty that was, you know, unnecessary and goes to the box. Dallas scores to tie it. And you're thinking, Oh man, this is kind of the worst, case scenario that we envisioned with him coming back is, is he going to be that guy? And then he turns it up. He he gets inspired. He turns up the intensity level. He worked his ass off and he ends up putting up basically a three point night converts on a beautiful two on one is effective around the ice, you know, is, is working out, which was great to see. I mean, if that's something you can get out of Brock Besser on a nightly basis down throughout the rest of the season and the team can get into the postseason, even if they don't, I mean, maybe that, changes some opinions and changes some things, but um, I don't know. It's a, it's kind of an open case right now in terms of which direction that's going to go. And a lot of it has to do with the financial situation with the hockey club and other decisions they have to make in that, in that regard. I was sitting at a pub the other night and here is an interesting trivia question for you. <laughs> See if you can get this one. Who has more penalty minutes, Bob Probert in 1988 or the entire <laughs> Vancouver Canucks this season? Oh, well, that's, I think we've brought this topic up before about (laughs) how ridiculous it is. I think I've brought it up before about, I think I used Craig Berube as an example, if I'm not mistaken, about about a month ago. And I said, if you took his season in whatever it was, 80 something, and yeah, I would say Probert. Well, I I, I think the Canucks just now over the last stretch finally eclipsed his mark. But (laughs) that said, you bring up a guy like Brock Besser who's played in more than 60 games. I'd love to see him get these this final stretch in so that he can get to 70, which he's never done in his NHL career. But he's got 20 penalty minutes this 20. entire season. Yep. Elias Patterson's got 12. Yeah. And, and and the reason that I bring this up, and and not to be the, the old guy talking about the grand old days, but you talk about teams that get tough and you know get ready for a, a different style of hockey that inevitably is going to come in a couple of weeks time is now the time that you crank it up. And I'm not talking about playing undisciplined hockey. 
but where you wouldn't mind a couple more roughing penalties, a couple more aggressive penalties that show that you're starting to get into that form. Well, I think without take they last night against the Dallas stars, uh, Monday night against the stars was a perfect example of what you're looking for. Other than his cross-checking penalty, they played the perfect game in terms of physicality, forecheck, winning puck battles, delivering big hits, even a fight with Luke Shen stepping up to take on Jamie Ben in defense of Quinn Hughes. It was perfectly executed, staying out of the box while really playing a physical game. I, they dominated physically last night, I felt, and, and won most of the 50-50 puck battles and won a lot of board battles. I mean, that is exactly what you're looking for. At this point, if you're desperately trying to pick up two points on it on every given night. So there were playoff elements to that game last night, and they played it well to the point where they they stayed out of the box, but were still able to play a kind of an angry game, which I thought was was really impressive. So hopefully they can do the same thing against Ottawa with similar results, knowing that that kind of that head-to-head Western Conference, oh my God, we're chasing these guys element is not there. But there's no reason to say that they can't bring that level of desperation to the ice surface again. I said um earlier and started to say something, and all that was basically, <laughs> Rob, was just a, pl- a double plug. And I want to plug uh, equity.guru, of course, because they sponsor this, present this program, your sports bar radio, and also are casually sponsoring Simmers Game Day, which is a kind of a little thing I've done four times now, throwing out wagering picks for fans. And I I would say it's gone pretty well thus far. We are 11 and three since starting. So not too shabby. Yeah, that's pretty good. Although I did go 0 for 1. I went, uh, let's see, what do we do here? I went, Three and one, I believe it was three and one, four and one, five and oh. And then last night, yesterday, I was so busy doing stories and other stuff that I only threw out one and I got it wrong. So I was 0 for one. <laughs> I did it. I had an 0 for one Monday, which bugs me. Come like, on, get it together. Way more missing the one bugs me way more than going 11 and two leading up to it makes me happy. I mean, it just drives me bats. But anyway, because we're in a situation now where teams that are in the playoffs are playing teams that are out and they might be resting players, it makes me a little nervous handicapping. So I might kind of take a little break until we get into the postseason, but we'll see. Yeah, just something to keep an eye out for because I might I might throw out some picks here and there. And right now we're batting uh, batting a pretty good average. All right. So in wrestling, they call it a non-title match. I'll give you a chance not to put this on the line. Who do you got tonight? And with the over-under being six and a half, are you going to take the over? Are you going to take the under? Uh, With this netminder for Ottawa and the way the uh, Canucks were going, like just off spur of the moment, I would like the Canucks and the over. I mean, if if you're just basing it on on logic. But, you know, hockey can be a a little illogical sometimes because there's lots of intangibles you cannot quantify. And I haven't thought about it, but if you put me on the spot, I don't see this team falling into, into a trap mode. And if anything, if Ottawa produces some, some offense, that's fine. It'll go, it'll contribute towards the over. But um, I think uh, if the, unless everybody collectively cools off offensive output for the Canucks should be pretty decent this evening. 
All right, this just so you know, it does not go against your eleven and three. No, no, it's not can, going on my official. I can, if I if I, I decide, say, I can to, feel you're nervous. You don't want to make this no, pick. no. I'm like, dude, it's a non-title fight. No, yeah, non-title fight. No, if I might decide to do a a, a Simmers game day later today, I got to see. I only do Canada-based teams, by the way. That's why I was three and one, four and one, five and zero. Ah. Oh, I don't do the whole league. I only it just makes it easier and more concise. I only do games that involve Canada-based teams. So, so in other words, I was stepping on your toes because you got a hot one coming out a little bit later. Yeah, well, I mean, in this one, you've got <laughs> you've got you've got the double whammy. Uh, with the two Canada-based clubs, two for the price of one in this game. Love it. And we've got uh, we got Montreal in action this evening. We've got Toronto in action this evening. We've got Calgary at Nashville. By the way, that's a big game for, yes. for Canucks fans watching, doing a little scoreboard watching, as is Los Angeles at Anaheim. This could be, man, I mean, wake up Wednesday morning and whew. It, we could have a whole new look to this uh, this pack. It'd be interesting as hell. Well, I'm going to take Calgary to win that game. I think they're. I think Nashville, as good as things are, I just feel like Calgary's been as good as advertised. Seven two and one of their past ten. I look at them head to head, and even though Nashville's kind of got Calgary's number, I feel like the Flames are due. You know, Nashville, by the way. For those who are betting, a perfect three and zero against Calgary in their last three head to heads. But uh, I digress. There you go. I'll put my money where my mouth is as well. <laughs> Calgary's going to bump that slump and help the Canucks out tonight. All Robert, right, thank you for doing this, man. I really appreciate you down at Rogers Arena making time for me. What section are you in tonight? I am in section. Let me look behind me here. I'm in section one twenty. Section. I wrote down one twenty. I'm in I the corner see you in the same section. I love it. Hey, away from the away from the chaos. How many penalty minutes did Proby have that year, by the way? Robert Probert in that <laughs> year had a very subtle 398. Damn. And and the Canucks we, just passed that? I want to say they just passed just kind of passed it. Okay. 398. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, when they we always hear about, you know, obviously Glenn Hall pay, playing all the consecutive games, whatever it was, 500 or in that that's obviously never going to happen again. And, and there's certain goal scoring records that'll never be touched, but it's ultimately the penalty minutes now that it's, that's done. I mean, put a fork in it. No one's going to even crack the top 40 moving forward. Like guys starting the career right now will not yeah. crack the top 40 or 50 in all time penalty minutes. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you're talking thousands and that's, that's just not the game. Yeah. No, you know what? The Canucks, the Canucks got a few more than I gave them credit for. I was doing the quick math in my head, but they 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 just eclipsed 600. Oh, hell. But they're, they're no, way ahead two, of Proby. No, nah, not well. He had 400 by himself. Yeah, it was so, Koser. What year was it? If it was put Koser and Joey Koser and 88. Yeah, put Koser with Probert and, and those two together would have had more than the Canucks. right? Oh, now. there's no doubt in my mind. I'm, I'm pulling him up right now. 88. <laughs> Oh, come on, man. He only had 263. That's still Coaster. more. That's four. That's 660 pims oh, between two easily, guys. The easily. Bruce brothers. 86, 86. Coaster had 377 minutes in penalties. I watched those two religiously those years. I was at university. <laughs> and before we go out on a Friday night, we'd watch the wings game and just to watch them beat the crap out of people. And Steve Eiserman, you know, pick up two, three, four point night with protection. And then those two just run ramp run <laughs> rampant over some poor buggers and then we go like all right hey let's go out 
It was, it hey, was you want do you want the stat nerds to really like blow up? How about this? The year that Bob Probert had 398 penalty minutes, he was also a plus 16 and had 29 goals. Yeah. Proby so. could score. Dude, he like nobody's moving him from the slot. He would set up <laughs> he would he would rip shots from the from like the hash marks or he'd just pick up garbage goals in front. Nobody's nobody's touching the guy. Like <laughs> forget pissing him off. A B it was kind of an immovable object. So, you know, if, if the puck came out in front, he's picking up garbage and doing a nice job at it. And I usually, and he, could pl- he could play. And if you're splitting hairs, he had another 51 in the playoffs, but uh, I digress. Yeah. Rob Simpson of VancouverHockeyNow.com. Thank you. Enjoy the game tonight and let us wake up tomorrow with more chaos. Wow. It's going to be really interesting. Thank you very much, Roberto.